Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 360 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, Rhiannon Ties speaks with Anne Morgan about collaborating with actors, producers and the listener, adapting classic novels for radio, being drawn to the dark edges and keeping the essence of a project. Rhiannon Tice is an award-winning writer for radio and theatre who has adapted books including Louisa May Alcott's Little Women and George Eliot's The Mill on the Floss. I first met her when we were both RLF fellows at the University of Kent in Canterbury. So it's a treat today to sit down with her and hear more about the journey that has taken her here. Rhiannon, thank you so much for having me. Um, Where did writing start for you? When I was little I used to do lots and lots and lots of drawing. In fact my mum found a few years ago, I was probably about 10, 15 years ago now when she was sorting through the house, she found these drawings that I had done the little cartoon strips but they all had little speech bubbles all the characters so even as a you know from those early days I was I was drawing but I was writing speech and dialogue and I think it sort of evolved from from that really and I did love writing poetry at school and it was always about the kind of little details and things I'd seen on the way to school rather than sort of love for an eight-year-old boy or something this is when I was at primary school obviously not when I was older sorry uh, just to clarify and then from that I think I wrote a story when I was in my final year at primary school just we all had to write a long story and, and illustrate it as our kind of end of year end of primary school project and I wrote this adventure story the teachers sort of picked up on that and um, they turned it into the school play so that was all very very exciting and it just kind of continued from there really what I find really interesting, because I, as a writer, I spend a lot of time on my own yeah. writing, and I write things that people read on their own usually, either they listen to or they read in books. Your work is really collaborative, because you create things that need other people to make them happen, and people have to come together to watch often. Um, how do you find the process of collaborating? Do you enjoy it? I love it, yeah, really, really love it. I love novels and I love the idea of sort of writing all those words, maybe now, but certainly when I was younger, I really liked working with actors. I loved working with directors and I loved, because I loved performing when I was a child and being in a theatre was like a dream. It was so, it was just one of the most exciting experiences. Being backstage is heaven. Even now I get excited when I go backstage. Because I love being in the theatre and, and being with all those people, it, it, it yeah, it, it was just such an obvious, an obvious thing. And for them to sort of take on your words and, and read them out and sort of create something they just bring it to life. So you start off with your pages in front of you on your own, you know, you're on your own, squirrelling away, not sure if things are going to work. And then to come together with a, with a load of actors and then they just, they just springboard it to a, a somewhere else. It's just, it's such a joy. It's just, it's why it all becomes worthwhile. Fantastic. Well, not only have you had work performed at theatres throughout the UK, I mean, everything from the Royal Court to the Marlowe Theatre to the Tron up in Glasgow, yeah, yeah. Um, huge range of things. Um, but you've done so many things for radio, haven't you? In fact, I would think of you first and foremost as a radio dramatist, I don't know if you'd agree, but yeah, probably now, seems yeah. to be a, a huge <coughs> body of work that you've done. Is it different to write just for the ear 
then to write a play that's going to be performed visually how how do you think differently about that or do you think differently about it? definitely think differently writing for radio audio it's very like in a way it's like writing a screenplay because it, the, the the you have to think in visual pictures when you write a screenplay whereas you what you're doing is you're using sound or the best audio best radio dramas i think use and embrace the sound it's not just a play that you've just turned into a you know an audio drama you're embracing the medium you're using sound you're using it in a creative way it's a really interesting medium to work in it wasn't it wasn't one that that I'd ever thought about doing because like I said I've got this obsession with you know being backstage and loving being in a theatre so that was kind of my path it just happened that I was doing some workshops at the National Studio years ago this was and the um, Jack Bradley was the literary manager at the um, National back then he put my name forward to these workshops that BBC Radio Drama were doing for writers that had never written for radio before and we were all given a sort of mentor that we worked with we all got the opportunity to create a little piece that could then be recorded so it was just kind of getting that that sort of experience and the producer that I was teamed up with then is the producer that I still work with today. You've written so many different radio dramas audio dramas is that the preferred term well it's it's interesting because it was always radio drama and because what's happened in the last you know recently is that there's more platforms now that are producing radio (laughs) see i can't help but call it radio drama there's there's different platforms there's dramatic podcasts audible are producing their own dramas and you can listen to them on spotify so it's it's not just on you don't just have to go to radio tune into radio uh three or four also the bbc have the bbc sounds app there's loads of dramas on there so people are sort of tending to call it audio drama to sort of encompass i think that whole industry rather than it just being radio which i think is really exciting it's great that there's more opportunities out there for sort of working with different people and also for other, for just a wider audience it's yeah. massive in america as well you know, i mean there's been it's really interesting isn't it both tv and audio have had a huge boom really mm. in the last 10 yeah, years absolutely. Certainly, particularly tv in the pandemic but yeah. i mean i think audio was happening before that with audio books on the rise and everything completely and podcasts being so popular has that meant that there's a lot more call for work is there are there more opportunities how does that translate well somewhere like the bbc bbc radio drama they've cut a lot of their drama slots actually but there are opportunities i heard someone describe it as a sort of like doing podcasts as a bit as sort of it's become a bit punk you just get on with it and do it yourself you might not be making very much money at the start you have to be a bit creative i think the sort of the the sort of old way of doing it's been shaken up a bit I mean, you've done a huge range of subject matter, shopping addiction, yeah. the aftermath of the murder of a, an asylum seeker, teenage binge drinking, those are some of your stage plays that you worked on, but also yeah. in audio you've done a huge range of things. Sometimes, I think often to the darker end of the spectrum in terms of your original work. Is there a reason for that? Do you think of it particularly gritty subjects that draw you? Or? I think it's, com- it's a family 
well, my mum, particularly, she, her background was in documentary filmmaking. She had a sort of interest in current affairs. So it's probably something you come from that. That's a sort of, because I was sort of grew up around edgy stories. Um, and I think also where I grew up in London, you know, I lived in Hackney and it wasn't Hackney gentrified. It was her old Hackney. And it was a, it was always a bit, there was dark edges. And I think that's interesting. Thinking back, people did used to say, yes, your work's very dark. I mean, not obviously not with the adaptation so much. You know, you're not going to make little women dark. I'm not sure how, you know, I mean, you probably but could. But you say that, yes. it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was thinking, when I was thinking about coming to speak to you, I was thinking about the recent TV adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, Anne with an E, which goes into all sorts of implied but never shown backstory in okay. the book about how she was treated in the orphanage and all kinds of things. Oh right, that's interesting. Um, and I, it was a question I was going to ask you about mm. adaptation. Okay. How much freedom do you have? Do you, are you someone who sticks very faithfully to the book? Is that required for the, by the platforms or is that something that you think is important? I'm very faithful. It just is such an honour for me to sort of work with these amazing novels with little women for example i mean actually that we did get we were told to do it with attitude which i really liked that that brief we were given and we i think we did that we did we we drew out the kind of the darkness of the time as much as we could we didn't go you know to the front line throughout the piece because it was when the civil war was on and it was that was that was one thing that the commissioning editor said he wanted us to sort of address so I created scenes with Mr. March addressing, you know, the wounded soldiers in the tents, which wasn't in the book. So, so there were, but it wasn't, you know, it was implied. It was implied. It was implied. It was in the background. But yeah, I'm not bringing an alien spaceship. No, no, no there was no the alien spaceship. <laughs> and and I think also the um, because that's very twee and lovely. Little Women, but what we did do is we brought out the drama and the sort of constant conflict between those sisters, particularly when they were younger. Um, you know, one of my favourite things was that when, you know, Amy nearly drowned, you know, Joe was so fed up with her being such a pain sister and you burnt her book, you know, that was the burnt her story, which is unforgivable. And then just left her to sort of drown in the ice, although obviously not, they pulled her out. But, but so there is elements of darkness in that, but not, it's not really dark and also you know you you're doing uh, an adaptation of little women for a radio 4 audience you want them to love it so i felt a bit of a responsibility for that and wanted to kind of make it a joyful piece for mm. people listening but actually also people that have never read the book have have said to me you know that they listened to it and, and absolutely loved it and just sort of transported to a, a different era and sometimes it's quite nice to have that escapism, I think, mm. you know. I was thinking about what you do, and it, it, in some ways when you're adapting, it's kind of a translation, isn't it? You're translating yeah. the original, not just into a different form, but also to an audience at some remove from the original. Yeah. Yeah. So how does, how, do you, how does the language work in that? So obviously there are ways we speak now that wouldn't have been used then, and there would be formulations in the original book that might sound quite archaic now particularly yeah. on the radio maybe yeah. even a bit mannered yeah how do you walk the line between how they spoke yeah. then and how they speak now and how do you make that feel real how well what i i mean i use i try and use as much as i can from the original novel so i'll write a, a, a draft and 
uh, using as faithfully as possible with the book. Uh, so I'll draw the language and you read it out and you think, well, that sounds a bit weird. But what I do is, so in the early drafts, I'll put a little note to Tracy and I when we're going through it together, say, I could change it to this because it actually, no one's going to understand it. Sometimes you can get away with it. Sometimes it works because it's it's just a it's like picking and choosing and then what happens is in the studio if a line is not working or if there's a little bit of debate about something or a word or if it just doesn't sound right I've got the book there we refer back to the book we look at my script and then we just quickly decide it doesn't work it and it's kind of that's when it's that collaboration comes into play and that's what's brilliant, like I said, about working with such an experienced producer who, who just will know whether something doesn't work or does work. Mm. Um, and how much say do you get over Because obviously, The Middle on the Floss, for example, mm. which won the VLV Best Radio Drama 2020 Award, that is a massive book yes. in the region of 550 pages. Right. And that you had to trim down to 10, 13-minute episodes. That's right, yeah. So obviously a lot had to go. Was it you making the decision over which episodes went and which were kept, or was that a collaborative thing? How did you decide? Okay, that was insane working on that because I basically took that over from another writer who was working on working on a novel. And Tracy <laughs> phoned me up and said, Rhiannon, I've got a proposition for you. How would you feel about adapting Mill on the Floss? I was like, oh my God, amazing. Wow, okay, great. Uh, she said, okay, we go into studio in February. This was in October. At the end of October, she called me. And I was like, yeah, okay, that'd be fine. That'd be fine. I thought Christmas, Christmas holidays. Oh my God. Uh, be fine, be fine. Um, so it was intense. It was super intense. The first drafts were delivered on the 4th of January. So I was working all over Christmas. But then, you know, normal people do that. I mean, you know, that it, that will, I'm not going, boo, boo, poor me, poor me. But usually you have about a year or, or maybe just under from the commission on something, on a project like that to going into studio. So you have much longer. But what it meant was, I tried to make the decisions there and then. There was no pondering. Um, uh, so it was you deciding. It, it was early. Saying. Well, what we did is we had an initial meeting, and this is what was so useful. So you, you, we've got the massive book. I was like, wow, this is really big. But I wasn't daunted because I did Little Women and Good Wives. So they're about the same length of book. But it was much easier to chop stuff out of that in a way. Almost with Mill on the Floss, you just wanted to include everything. And it was like, well, how can we keep the essence of the book? But we have to lose so much. We need to keep her brilliant writing, her, you know, this gorgeous philosophy, philosophical motifs, and just her, everything is just so rich and wonderful. But because we had worked together so much before we sort of we we work very very well together and that really helps people say you know the success of a of a radio drama is the relationship between the writer and the producer and Tracy and I we work really really well together so I had kind of gone through and broken it up into sort of 10 chunks so then we went through and we were pretty much on the same page so before I'd even started writing I had marked out my copy the 10 episodes because what you have to do is you have to you want to end on a sort of cliffhanger so that you you know you do it like that it becomes episodic you need to have that little cliffhanger or that big cliffhanger even at the end of the episode so that people tune in the next day and then it was a process of 
editing stuff down in each section. I did jump around a little bit. I moved stuff because I thought it has to be included. So we just sort of cheated it to a tiny bit and maybe moved a few things here and there, but not very much. And there, there was so much we had to leave out. I mean, there's a moment in the book where, well, it's, it's when all the sisters come round and it's just such a fantastic family drama moment they're all sitting round and there's a wonderful sisters they're so cutting to each other I think that ended up being a very very short little scene but it was it's such an amazing part of the book but then it's like you have to what you have to do is then you edit and edit and edit so much but keep the essence there you give people enough for them to remember if they want to go back and read it then there's the opportunity to go and read the whole book in one go because it's not like it's not an audio book it's an adaptation or dramatization and that allows you to kind of do that editing. it's really interesting isn't it because it's kind of a hybrid form really in that yeah. you've got the narrator mm. much you've got the narrative voice that you have in the book so it's not a straight drama because no. it's not just voices talking like on the archers for example yeah but you do have obviously the different characters having dramatic yes. scenes I think one of the really skillful things that you've done was to, as you say, keep some of those, those beautiful philosophical... I mean, the end of the first episode, that lovely line about yeah. um, we wouldn't love the earth as much if we hadn't had childhood. Yeah. I mean, that's just... That's almost brought me to tears. Yeah, well, actually. yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, um, and that's, that's completely from... I just picked... That's, that's all her writing. And it, it does come at the end. I just thought, my, I mean, I've got goosebumps now thinking about it. But but actually, going back to what you were saying about the narrator and the how it's not, it's not, as you said, like the archers where it's just people talking and conversing. That was my brief. They called it a dramatised reading. So actually, I had to have more narration within it. Do you feel a big sense of responsibility when you're taking a book like that that so many people know and love? I mean, Little Women is a oh my God, example yeah. as well. You know, for a lot of people, that's a key book they will have read oh. in their childhood, will be very emotionally attached to. How do you... I would find that really intimidating. How do you deal with that? I did really feel like, oh my God, I really have to give the audience, the listener even, you know, a good time. I can't mess it up. I can't do what everyone wanted me to do and, you know have Joe and Laurie run off together um, because he, even though that wasn't that's not faithful to the story and it had they had to I really wanted people to listen to it and think oh yes I don't know if I if everybody loved it but you're not going to please everyone mm. and yes and same with Mill on the Floss I mean Mill on the Floss there was no time to worry really I mean I would do oh, obviously I was worried I'm sure my partner Mark would probably say oh my god what are you talking about but because it was such a short period of time that I had to work on it, it just, and everything else went on hold I just had to get on with it but yeah you do I do feel responsible because I do care about what the listener's experience because I'm a listener as well you know I love listening to radio drama audio drama and I really care about people how they how you know how they feel when they're listening to it and I take that on board because I think that's the it's a, you're having that collaboration with the listener so you want to create something you I, I sort of do it for them I don't I don't I don't know if that's maybe <laughs> but I do it for them so if they're happy then I've done my job mm. I've done my job yeah now I think I listen to a lot of audiobooks and okay. podcasts and things and audio dramas usually when I'm doing something else so mm. running or driving 
And I guess that must be the case for a lot of people. When the, the radio's on, you're usually doing something else. That's one of the lovely things about it. But for a writer, that must be a challenge because you're writing for someone who may not be fully listening all the time. Yeah. Is that something you think about at all? Is that part of your um, Not really. I mean, I just think it's just, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. That that's what people do. And I think, yes, you that you do if, if it's good enough you'll stay and listen to it actually somebody you know for a lovely husband of a friend of mine said that he he didn't know he was listening to little women he didn't know that i had written it he said i didn't get out of my car i sat in my car and listened to the end of the episode and i was he said i didn't know you had written it rhiannon and so that was really lovely so i think well like i said you know you've done your job so the idea you've got to keep them in the room you've got to keep them listening if someone came to you and said uh right rihanna we've got 10 slots uh you can choose any book ever to adapt what would you Okay, so I know this because I was thinking about this. I, was, well, I wonder if you were going to ask me that. I, it's, it's not a long book, but it's, it's um, Doris Lessing's The Fifth Child. Oh. I would do that. I mean, I, I'm not... Why? Because I just think it's such a great book. I love it. Such an interesting book. Because it's quite a terrifying concept, you know. And it's, I think it's really modern as well. It's like, it feels like the family are like sort of almost an Instagram family. They're so perfect. And, but it, then it's like the underneath, which I just find that really interesting. And it's just, it's just so powerful. And I, and I first read it when I was young, uh, you know, sort of late teens, maybe early 20s. And then I read it again as a, as a parent and it, you just have a totally different reading of it, I think. It's such an interesting book. So that one. Or The Magic Toy Shop. But I think I would go, I think I would go, yeah, um, The Fifth Child, well, definitely. I would listen to it. So Yay. fingers crossed. <laughs> one day. Rhiannon, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure Ooh. to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Rhiannon Ties in conversation with Anne Morgan. You can find out more about Rhiannon on the RLF website. And that concludes episode 360, which was recorded and produced by Anne Morgan. Coming up in episode 361, in Location and the Writer, Babs Horton takes us to the ravaged landscapes of Tredegar, Brian Clegg recalls a famous physics laboratory, and Tamar Yellen explores Bronte country. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk. Thanks for listening.